So I'm going to give you the numbers in just a moment for you to reach us and some other ways you can contact us too here on We Are Just Christians. Thanks for tuning in, though. It's a beautiful Lord's Day morning. We're glad that God has allowed us to be with you for a little bit of time here. And we, we like to consider things that not only you are thinking about by calling in or by writing us, texting us, whatever it may be, but some things that perhaps uh, we've been thinking about in our own studies or that are in in the public consciousness because of the news and so forth. We'd be glad to talk about those things too, how they relate to being just a Christian. We're not here to present to you some creed book or some denominational dogma or the traditions of men have have come down to us that that establish a church. We're here to talk about the church of Jesus Christ as it's found in the New Testament because we believe that can be recreated here in the 21st century. If people will just lay all the other stuff aside, decide to read the Bible plainly and clearly and follow that as simply as they can. We can have unity on that. We're not going to ever have unity on the basis of human doctrines and creeds that developed down through the centuries. It's never going to happen. Well, uh, Mike, I'm just going to keep referring to John 12:48. Jesus says, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day, talking to us. His word will be the standard by which we'll be judged when you stand before God. If you believe you're going to stand before God one day, then maybe you ought to pay attention to what he said. Right. I read an article. You're going to get off the track. Let me give the numbers first here. You, you always get started off on something. Forget to give the numbers. 772-340-1590. That's how you call us on WPSL. 772-340-1590. That number's good from anywhere. And we'd be glad to talk to you. As you, as you know, we... we make it a point that we're not here to just have an argument or just do something that's outrageous on this show. We don't mind you disagreeing at all, and you can disagree strongly if you'd like. That isn't the point, but we're not going to just uh, present something just so people will call in and react to it. We're going to tell you what we think is the Scriptures teach, but you can call in. We'll have a conversation, and we promise at the end of that, whether we agree or disagree, we'll give you the last word, and so we can talk about these things. If you want to call and just ask a question, that's okay, too. You know, personally, Gary, I prefer when people stick around and we can go back and forth a little bit because it's difficult always to get the intent of the question at first. Sometimes there's more behind, usually in this kind of situation, there's more behind a question that people have in mind or want to say, and we don't always pick up on that right away. Yeah, and, and, and my, so Mike, uh, like having, pick up on that. having experienced that here, uh, I begin to see it in other uh, shows where people call in or ask questions or things like that, that the the moderator or the the person trying to interpret or talk with us obviously didn't understand the question they, the they, same way that I thought. Yes, and, and, and maybe the same way the person who asked it. And right. so sometimes a follow-up question allows them to clarify that. Right. But if you, if you just want to call or whatever, I know people are shy, but look, uh, this is just between me and you. You don't have to worry about anybody else. Nobody else can hear us, right, Gary? It's right. It's just, just us. <laughs> so just call in, and we'll be glad to talk to you. 772-340-1590 is the number. And you can also yeah, do, reach us a couple other ways uh, during the show. One of them is by text message. Well, that's really the only other well, way, just, text message. Well, just you and me and what the radio station guys say, 20,000. Who knows people. how many other people are listening. But in any event, uh, they can't see you anyway. Seven, you can... You can um, Text us 
I have a text number. Gary has one. Listen to what they are. 772-260-6120 is my number. 6120. Gary's number is 772-260-6220. Now, we'll take those texts while we're on the air. Uh, sometimes I can respond effectively to them, sometimes not. In fact, we're going to deal with the text message a little bit today. came in last week. We only got to part of that, and, and I don't want the person who sent it to, to think that we didn't pay attention. I just I couldn't respond to all of it on the air last week. 772-260-6120 or 6220. Of course, you can always text us during the week, and some people do that and leave us some food for thought or just have a discussion between us. That's fine, too. Um, and I'll give you the other ways to get a hold. Well, the other ways are you can listen live at WPSL.com. You can listen to us on the TuneIn Radio app or all your Alexa devices or Google Chrome, W1590 WPSL. All those ways are available to you and your friends. You can tell your friends about this all over the United States or wherever they may be. I assume around the world because they say that WPSL is worldwide from what I hear. I'm, right. And, and if so, I assume you can tell them anywhere. They can listen to the show live on the PSL website or on TuneIn Radio, Alexa, Google Chrome. And we also have recordings on our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. You can go back and listen to all these shows. The sermons I preached here back for years and years, uh, you know, I'm going to say, I'm going to say since 2003 or four, maybe before, however long that is, you can listen to sermons that have been re- put on the website from that lo- that far back, you can look, search for topics and whatever at wearejustchristians.com. So anyway, you can reach us by those ways. We'd be glad to hear from you. Hope that you'll see if you listen to other people call in or when you call in that we're not here to embarrass anybody. The Bible is a big subject. Spirituality is a big subject. We know people disagree. We know people uh, have a lot of things to say about that, and that's okay. We're going to always do our best in, in, in our way of looking at it to point you to the scriptures for the answer uh, and uh, others may do the same thing but we're going to try to point you to a clear thinking about the scriptures trying to piece them together understand what they mean i'm going to give you something to think about from the scriptures that are read so hope you'll be prepared to write down the verses we give if we can do that and uh, we'll go from there so 772-340-1590 so here we go mike now i thought about i so I was going to say something, an article that I read, and now I forgot what it was. I'll think of it in a minute. Well, let's, let's go back to your text message and cover that. And, oh, I know uh, what the article was. There's this big controversy at, talking about man-made traditions and things like that. And this isn't, I'm not just going to pick on one thing. It just, just come to mind from the news. There's a news story out there that some really important cardinal resigned this week, which is a very unusual event happening to resign, give up the privileges of being a cardinal, I think, and all this kind of thing. I don't know his name. Starts with a B. He resigned at the Vatican over some scandal that happened there. And it wasn't the sex scandal. The last one to resign was McCarrick, a a U.S. cardinal, in like 2017 or 18 over having sex with uh, boys and men uh, as a cardinal. This one was over a financial a financial uh, problem with the Vatican. The Vatican had gone into business with some people in, in England making investments in real estate, and oh, I don't know what all was going on. And so here's the Vatican involved in, in these big business deals to make money off of real estate transactions, and there's a big scandal about how that went down and whether it was even legal and so forth and so on. And it talks about how these different 
groups within the Vatican, the Holy See, this, and the administration, he's the counselor over this, and they got this going on. I'm, I'm just looking at that, all of that, and saying, where in the New Testament is any of that? Churches making investments in real estate. The real estate from the early church, they were selling it to give money, make money to give to the poor. They weren't, they weren't uh, becoming a real estate investors and tycoons themselves, the church was. Well, they were individuals selling Individuals their sold their stuff and gave it to the church to use directly to help the poor. Right. We have a pattern of that. Individuals giving money to the church and the apostles used it directly to give to the poor people, not through all these other agencies. And, and they look, certainly weren't taking the money that they had collected from the people by demanding tithes from them and then investing it. And the Vatican is one of the richest, the Catholic Church is one of the richest organizations in the entire world with their real estate holdings and other monetary holdings and all the investments they've made. They're one of the richest entities in the, in the whole world. And yet we have the situation, oh, never mind. N- none of that is in the Bible, Gary. And churches should not be run by that. They should don't, there's no, no indication whatsoever of all of this kind of a hierarchical organization from the popes on down and all the other side lateral organizations dealing with money and finances and this and that, none of that is found as a pattern of how the early church operated. As That's a matter all of, the invention of people since that time. As a matter of fact, Mike, I think we probably ought to do a show on that sometime coming up soon because most people I think that are among our listeners would be surprised at how restrictive the examples are in the New Testament of how church money was used. How it was used. In fact, we're, having, we're doing that in our class right now on Sunday mornings. It's one of the topics we're talking about is how the church can make, can, brings in money and how, what, the, what the Bible says about how the church is to spend the money it makes. But, but this isn't just true of the Catholic church. I'm not trying to attack them. My, my relatives and my father's family were Roman Catholics. I'm not trying to attack them personally. And if you're a Catholic, I'm not attacking you personally. I'm only challenging you to think about whether the church you belong to is following the patterns of the New Testament or not. Or whether you think that's even an important idea that we follow the New Testament ideas. I think it is. And that's true of almost all of these denominations. They have all these extra-biblical, unbiblical organizations and structures. They bring in money in ways the New Testament church never did. And they spend their money in ways the New Testament church never did for reasons it never did. And all of that needs to be examined. It's it's just such um, such a problem. And we, ha- since we're, you know, fish, Gary, one of my favorite sayings, fish don't know they're in water. Okay, fish don't know that they're in water. Until, until they're out of it. Until you jerk them out. Well, we don't, we live, grow up in cultures with ideas about what churches are, and most people have never got out of the water long enough to see what the, what the water is supposed to be like. Let, let, let me quote what a the Bible. We're going back to the Bible to say, what's it like? And what we were talking about, you said, Everybody who, who is a member of any group, whether even this group here, should consider what the Bible says that we should be doing because Jesus talked about this in talking to the, about the Jews. He said, these people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In other words, they were not teaching from their scripture they were teaching what they thought their traditions taught. Right. And, that, he sa- and, and what problem. did he say that was? He said that was vain worship. It's empty. They're trying to do something, but it's uh, uh, empty uh, worship because it's the commandment of men. Right. You know, and so we need to consider 
whether the church that we belong to and all of that is trying and whatever way, church it is catholic what, whatever or what. church it may be is following the new testament pattern and we we try to do that here keep looking and see that now now it's that's just way too restrictive for a lot of people because they don't want to follow those examples they think they have a better smarter way to do that uh and and um in in the bible and so therefore it's not true I think we have a call on the line uh, this morning. Are you there, Jerry? Uh, yes, Jerry. Uh, Mike. Mike, I'm sorry. Mike and Gary, uh, thank you for here. That's okay. Mike and Gary were both here. Uh, I was, uh, when they used the term uh, act of confession, and in the Catholic Church, when you uh, make an actual confession for the first time, you get this uh, thing you wear around your neck, and on, and on the back, on the chest side and the back side, are like two medallions, or cloth medallions, and I think they're called the sepulchre and the scalpula. And I think the scalpula is one on the back, and the sepulchre is one on the front. And uh, I just wanted to draw a trach on that, and if you're familiar with that at all, Mike, and I'd like to listen off air, if that'd be okay? That'd be fine, Jerry. Uh, I appreciate you calling very much. The make a if i i should have asked him make a contri- make contrition Trition. actual contrition is that what what the word was gary yes that's what the word um, was of course the idea of contrition is just uh saying uh that you are sorry for what you've done it's a it's another word for repentance or a parallel word of repentance or contrite having a contrite heart is one that's humbled and repentant recognizing your own weaknesses and so I don't, there's no ceremony in the New Testament that we go through to show that we are contrite. We, we are to repent of our sins and so forth. Well, the church he, can't I, administer some ceremony as a, as a sacrament to somebody for contrition well, guess, because there's nothing in, in the New Testament about doing that. What I'm supposed to well, do. Well, Jesus does say something about showing fruits of repentance. Yes. That's that's how but you live after. That's you, how you live you do, after you've repented. After you, you show you fruits repented. of repentance, right? Uh, but, which, there's, but there's no ceremony as to what, what should be done. Giving of medallions, what the medallions are. Now, uh, I'm not sure the, uh, the 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 sepulcher if it's if that's correct. I'm not unsure about this. Um, uh, let, me, let me let me try to look it up here. Uh, as to what word we might be looking at. Well, there's one thought here that um, uh, basically I want to get an overall thought here while you're looking that up, Mike. God wants us to have faith, but our faith is shown in what we do in our deeds, in our fruits. And he talks about the fruits of repentance. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit those are actually the things that we do in doing what God would have us do. Those are those those are deeds, and 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 it's included in the deeds we say. And one of the things that God wants is He wants to see our faith, and the only way He sees our faith, literally sees our faith, is through what we do. It's through our fruits. And so, basically, I, I'd even steer you to Matthew nine uh, about the. Uh, about the paralytic that they let down into Jesus, and he talked to, talked about looking at him, and, and it, basically it says when he saw their faith, then he healed the man. So God wants to, some, something we miss here, God wants to see our faith. 
He wants to see what we do. Yeah. And and another one of those instances is when uh, Abraham offered Isaac, and he said, as as Abraham was ready to slay Isaac on the altar, and he was stopped. God said, "Now I know." Because he wanted to see Abraham's faith. He had already seen some of Abraham's faith, but he wanted to see that faith. Uh, so we need, we need to consider what it means to be faithful to God. Being faithful to God includes what we do. It's not, it's not just a matter of, uh, of the mind. It's a matter of, of how we live and what we do. He says in another place, by our deeds we'll be judged. So uh, that's one of the things I want us to bear in mind as, as we look at this idea of contriteness. He says, I, I want to live with the humble and contrite heart. That means the heart that's, that's willing to make things right, the heart that's willing to repent and do the right things, is what it means by contrite or contrition. So in the New Testament, my view is that when you see contrite or contrition, you're looking at the fruits of repentance. Mm-hmm. You're looking at what we do to show that we have repented already, not, not some ceremony that we go through. It's, it's actually what we do in living our life. That's that's all. That's the, what I kind of wanted to point out. I, I get, I, you can look this up, and uh, I'm not familiar with, I have to tell you, I'm not familiar, Jerry, with the Catholic act of first contrition. I think that's what you said, except that it may be called perfect contrition. You can go to the Catholic stores online and buy little booklets and other things to commemorate this. I didn't see anything about a medallion with the sepulcher and a scapula on the other side. I'm not sure that word scapula, that's a that's your shoulder blade yeah. bone, but there's probably a misspelling of that in my in my misspelling of it. But the sepulcher is the grave of Christ. So you it's the idea of being sorrowful for your sins, putting them to death. The New Testament doesn't really use this word contrition, it uses the word repentance. Right. In the English translations, contrition is an old testament word. Not that it's bad. It, it's it's that we, we you look at repentance, which means to change your mind or to turn around from. But it's a genre of prayer that, that, that's used in liturgical services or privately in connection with an examination of conscience. Special formula for acts of contrition are in use in the Anglican, Catholic, Lutheran, Methodist, and Reformed churches. So there are these special formula that you say, a special prayer that you say, to God for an act of contrition. Contrition. Now, the New Testament, once again, does not give us any special formula for prayers, not even what is commonly called, I'm going to open up a can of worms here, Gary, not even what is called the commonly the Lord's Prayer is meant to be a prayer that you just say ritually. It's a more of a model prayer. The Bible never calls it the Lord's Prayer. It's a model prayer. It shows you the different categories of, how to, what, to, of what, what to pray for. Right. And how to pray rather than the way that pagans prayed, how to pray as a Christian, the manner of prayer, and who you're to pray to, to the Father, and so forth. So that's what the Lord's Prayer shows. But it's not meant to be a prayer that covers everything all the time, because we have other prayers of people recorded in the New Testament that are not the Lord's Prayer as such. There's no command of the, that, there's no indication that the early church said the Lord's Prayer in repetitious fashion or anything like that well one that thing, came much later we uh, find these ceremonies and rituals developed much, much, later. much later and so and so it is with these uh, 
acts of contrition. All Christians should be contrite and repentant continually when they sin. And they ought to pray to God, as Peter said in Acts 8 to Simon, pray that God might forgive the evil in your heart. Uh, so he told Simon, you need to pray when you've sinned as a Christian. And that would be prayer, a prayer of contrition or repentance. But he didn't tell him what to pray. Well, make the, a ceremony out of it. Uh, the closest thing I could come to an example, Mike, was Luke 18 between the Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, in Luke 18, beginning in verse 10, he says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So It always seems to be related to this humility idea, too. Is, yes. Is, is, so contrition is a New Testament idea. Right. Having a specific formula that you say to a priest, it's and he gives else. you little medallions for saying specific prayers or acts of contrition, that's all something men have made up. That's part of the doctrines of men, that being bound upon people's hearts that we're talking about. But being contrite and recognizing that you need God's forgiveness and praying for God's forgiveness when you sin is absolutely New Testament in its, uh, in its thinking. So, so that's part of that idea, you know, that we have to have is uh, the idea that, uh, I mean, that's part, part of what we have to understand to make a distinction between the two. So don't go away saying, well, Mike and Gary don't believe in contrition. Uh, that's simply not at all what we said. Mike and Gary don't believe in enforcing human traditions and customs on people that are not found in the Bible. And we would point you back to what the scriptures say about how to be contrite and what to do about that. And we understand that's not going to be satisfactory to some people. Uh, but uh, I don't know what to say beyond that, Gary. I, I keep We have to always go back to the scriptures. And once we go beyond them, now we have trouble. You know, I used to do oil painting when I was a kid, laid up in bed with my surgeries and operations and heart condition, all that. So I used to oil painting. And uh, <clears throat> you, if you've ever done it, you keep working on something. And if you, the more you, sometimes the more you work on a painting, the worse it gets. <laughs> it's not just the, paintings a, that work that way. One of, the most, one of the genius things of painting is knowing when you just made your last stroke, brush stroke, right? And, and of course, that, that's... Uh, that's true of the Bible. If the Bible is perfect and complete, and, God, and God, God's will in the New Testament is perfect and complete, whatever I add to it isn't adding, it's actually subtracting. So when God tells Moses, tells the people, you shall not add to my word or subtract from my word. And when the book of Revelation... Even says... The book of Revelation, the last chapter says, do, do not add nor subtract to my words. Well, then, when I, when I add something to God's word, I've just made it worse not better. It's knowing when to stop. And where we stop with God's word is, we stop with what God said, what we know we can logically, rightfully deduce from what God said to do, and then we do not bind more than that or less than that. You said it's, not, it's also true in engineering, Gary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, this old saying that uh, 
better is the enemy of good enough. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. That's that's one of one of our sayings. But it it it's 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 like you said. Uh, going back to this vain worship, how do we know uh, when we've crossed over? And basically, sometimes sometimes I will admit it's difficult, even in our own personal life, because God's God's looking at what you do yourself. He's not com. I won't say he's not comparing you to other men or other people, but basically he's more concerned about you personally. I, I heard a guy say once in uh, in a movie uh, he was he was portraying the character of a preacher, and uh, he told one of the characters in the movie he says God God's really not worried about what you were; he's worried about what you, he's, he's more concerned about what you are. And so we can repent and we can turn away from things and God will forgive us of those things if we pray. We become new. And, and, the, and we become new thing. We become a new creature. And that's a good opening for baptism if we need to go into that. Right. But, but Well, we can't, let's do that in a minute. Let, let me just tell this story. That it may be opening up even more cans of worms about this subject. But now we have a custom. Having customs in churches I don't think is a problem. The problem in a church having a custom about how to do things is when it becomes as if it were written in stone in law. Right. The custom. We all have to have a way we do things. The question is, do we understand what the limits of that are based on the New Testament? And so I was dealing at one point in time, uh, well, we have a custom here. When I get done at the, toward the end of my lesson or at the end of any service, I will give people an opportunity to come forward and, uh, you know, confess any any public sins that they might have committed to, so that God can forgive them, so we can pray for them. God, we can't, unless they've sinned against the church personally, God can forgive. Or maybe they have a difficulty, struggling with a problem, a difficulty that they want prayers for, some help, or some other reason. So we have ask people to come forward, and we'll pray with them um, that they might be forgiven. And then their brethren, brothers and sisters, can comfort them. Because they know what's going on. That's what confession is about. Others know your problems or what's going on so they can help you. So we have this custom. Well, some years ago, I was, I was up in Illinois preaching with a friend of mine for a week. And uh, we went, he said, we, we need to go visit this lady in the hospital. Today it's urgent that we go. And I didn't know her except just by name. So we go to this woman's hospital room. She's dying of cancer. And she is just, Gary, she is absolutely wailing in grief. She is inconsolable when we get there. It was just pitiful and shocking. And finally, my friend Kenny is able to get her calmed down to say, what is wrong? Why Why do you feel like this? And she said, basically, I'm going to go to hell because I can't repent. I'm going to hell. It's too late. It's too late. She kept saying, it's too late. It's too late. And, and we finally got her to tell us, and, and calmed enough to say, I'm sick in bed. I'm going to die in this bed the next day or so. I can't go to church. I can't come forward, and therefore I can't be forgiven. In her mind, until she could come to church, and when they gave the invitation, walk down to the front and have the preacher pray for her or somebody else pray for her, she could not be forgiven, and she needed to be forgiven of some things she had done, and she was consigned to hell in her mind. Now, this is where a tradition takes you when something that's a custom doesn't get taught on efficiently or people misunderstand it. 
It leads you down this road. So we were able, I think, at that point in time to convince her that she didn't have to go to church. She can pray to God any time to be forgiven. She doesn't need a priest or a preacher to be forgiven. She can go to the Savior any time because he's her Savior personally. Well, and so we, we were able to pray with her, and, and she was able then to have some peace. But in her mind, the human tradition had come in and set aside what God had really said. Well, that, that tradition case. probably came from a scripture much like James 5 and 16. It says, confess your trespasses one, one to, another, to another and yes. pray for one another that you may be healed. And, and well, so, there's a place for that. So we gave, we gave an opportunity in the service. Exactly. But that passage doesn't limit it to doesn't the service. doesn't limit it to that's right. And you don't have to have a preacher or some priest to do it for you. It just says to one another. Now, the Catholic Church teaches, essentially, that you have to have a priest. Now, they might make some allowance for private contrition, but in the end, receiving forgiveness is, an, is a sacrament from the church. So a pre- this is one of the problems the Catholic Church has been having, Gary, been reading about this quarantine, is that the Catholics are raising the alarm. People are dying without last rites being given, and they're concerned that they're consigned to hell because they've been dying without the last rites of the priest being given because they're not allowed in the hospitals. I tried to go to the hospitals more than once in the last six months to visit people who need me to come see them. I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one on TV. But there's more to healing than medicine. So they want me to come, but I can't get in to see them. And so uh, the point is, though, they, they can go to God without me, and they can be healed. And how do I know that? Well, because the Bible says that, okay? The Bible teaches that just like the passage you read, even in the times of Moses, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Yeah. This man stood there personally and asked God to forgive him mm-hmm. and beat his breast. And God forgave him, as Jesus' point, without the, without the Pharisees being involved in it. Of course, he was trying to show the arrogance of the Pharisees as opposed to the contrition of this, uh, of this other tax collector that they would dismiss. Anyway, that's interesting, uh, uh, an interesting thing about tradition. So, Gary, uh, Jerry, if you're still listening, I, don't, I can't speak to the medallion that you have. It's probably a sentimental thing that you have from childhood. I, I, have, I have different objects from my grandmother, who was a very devout Roman Catholic, even from the old country that she saved that were meaningful to her. Um, and, and because they're meaningful to her, they, they're meaningful to me. But I don't hold them in any religion. There's no religious significance to me for those because I know the Bible doesn't teach me that I need to have this cross and say these prayers to receive so many indulgences, you know, and all this kind of stuff that those little crosses have on them. It tells me, it tells the thing that she had that if you kiss this cross so many times a day, you receive so many years indulgence from purgatory, all this kind of what I would consider idolatry, you know. But they were meaningful to my grandmother, so, you know, I don't hate them, but I understand that they're not at all biblical. They're not at all what the New Testament teaches. And I think that's where you should form your well, belief I, and practice. Right, I would Testament say to teaches. you they're, they're no more different than, than I, have a, I have a pocket watch that uh, was my father's, and, and I value it a great deal but simply because it was his. Right. Not because it has any other significance. Uh, it doesn't even run right now, okay? So I probably should take it to a jeweler and see if it could be fixed. But but I, I I value it because it's his, not because it has any other significance yeah. to it. By the way, what I found at old clocks I've had, 
first thing I did was one on my guy that wasn't wouldn't run very long. I tried to lubricate it. It's the worst thing you can do. Oh yeah. <laughs> I just gummed up the works majorly, even though I was trying to make it work. It, temporarily, it works, but it just gum. So that pocket watch probably same just needs same blowing way. out. You know. But anyway, uh, we do appreciate the call, Jerry, and uh, hope you'll keep listening and call back whenever you'd like to. We thank you very much. I don't know whether we answered your question or not, but. Um, Look to the New Testament to understand. If you go to the, go there and look and can search, look for repentance and humility. And in the Old Testament, you'll find this word contrition or contrite. A contrite heart is in the God sight a precious thing, which is fundamentally human. The human problem. You know, our modern culture will tell you that the reason people are have troubles is because they have low self esteem. Uh, I've been. I just got my can open right today, don't I, Gary? Well, the right. Bible says the Bible does not say that the human problem is in general low self-esteem. Well, I would go back to the, the Pharisee Bible is, and the, high self-esteem. Right. I would go back to the example of the Pharisee and the tax collector again. What was what was the Pharisee's problem? It wasn't that he didn't have any self-esteem. Too much. Yeah. Pride. Too much. Pride is hu- the human problem, and some people become proud of their. They're so proud that they feel bad because things aren't going their way. Now, there's an element of low self-esteem for some people, which is there because in their view, the world or other people are not treating them as well as they deserve, and therefore they feel badly about themselves. And they haven't got as far as they think they should, and so therefore they have low self-esteem. There's a big element of that in what we call low self-esteem. Well, well that's just pride turned inside out. Well, that's that's basically some of this victim status idea too. If you well, if you, yeah, and if you want to know how I know about that kind of low self-esteem, I'll, uh, it's real obvious how I know because I'm I'm a person that suffers from what the world will call low self-esteem. But in my heart of hearts, I can see that uh, a lot of it's just my pride turned inside out. So any 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 event, um, you'll find humility. And repentance, that's very, very critical things to anyone that would come to, pl- come to please God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? for they shall see God. The poor in spirit are those who are inside humble and poor, not exalted and rich. How many times that God says in the scripture that he dwells with people of the humble and contrite yeah, heart? Yeah, all through the Old Testament he says that. That's right. Yeah, all through the scriptures. And um, we... Um, and that idea of humility goes, you know, that idea of humility, humble and contrite, contrite relating to repentance and the desire to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's what contrite really leads you back to, the desire to do the right thing. Yeah, and, right. and not the right thing that you think, but the right thing that God recognizes. That's another thing that we run into is basically people who do, who are not particularly familiar with the Bible and its text, often do not realize that what God considers the right thing is not what your heart considers the right thing. And we run into that problem, too. That's the problem of, that's the problem of following your heart. Yeah, well, and, and we, we speak about we, every... Right, we've discussed that, too. Here. So yeah. we've both got our can openers out today. Yeah, that's right. Well, um... Let me give the numbers again real quick. If you'd like to call in like Jerry did, 772-340-1590, 772-340-1590. And we, we would be 
glad to have you call in, ask a question, make a comment, agree or disagree. Uh, call into We Are Just Christians, we, and we thank you for that. If you'd like to send us a text, the text number is 77. And you probably can hear a couple of people sending me texts right now. I forgot to turn my, my little tweeter off. Somebody <laughs> mentioned to me last week they heard a bird in the background. No, I don't have a bird in here. I got a phone that sounds like a bird when somebody texts me. But uh, in any event, you can text us at, at 772-260-6120 or 6220. You can text the show. We'll be glad to hear from you. One of our callers is mentioning the difference in the poor in spirit between Matthew and Luke. I'd have to look that up here. But uh, they, there are different words. But the idea of poor in spirit is the, uh, is the idea of, I think, of being in my spirit, not being rich or full of myself, we might say, but being poor right. and humble in my spirit. And God, that's who God seeks to call. Well, God can't call anybody else. Other people aren't going to come to God so they can use him for their advantage. We see politicians doing this all the time. Yes. Using God as, the, as a means to deceive you or pretend that there's something that they're not. And um, I, I just, um, I, I, I abhor that. You have to kind of look, look over that. And um, well, and, you know what I see: uh, politicians who, who basically favor certain, certain political viewpoints that that are all often uh, opposed, 180 degrees opposed to what Scripture says, and yet they claim to be uh, people of God. And, and and so you have to look at what they say, as opposed to what they do and what they propose. Right. Now, the difference in the two texts, by the way, since Texture brought this up, is in Matthew 5, uh, Matthew 5, 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, and then in Luke six twenty, assuming this is the same day, I, I don't know that it is. It might be a, it's possibly a different time he said the same kind of thing. In Luke six twenty, it says, "Then he lifted up his eyes toward heaven and said, toward his disciples, and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven.'" So the question is, is poor in spirit different than being poor? He goes on to say, and, and the second verse of Ma- and Matthew is, "Blessed uh, are you who mourn; they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth." And then he says, "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled." Luke just says, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. So he's, he's contrasting the condition of people now with the condition that's coming in his kingdom between those things. And um, I don't know that it was the same day that he said these things, so it's not like it's a contradiction. Both of these things are true, in my opinion. The poor in spirit are those who are poor in spirit, who are, who are the only ones who can go to heaven. Those who are haughty in spirit those who are sure of themselves, for number one, they don't really seek the kingdom of God. They seek, their, they seek to make the kingdom of God in their own image, you see. Well, the contrast and, goes on down to verse 24. It says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Yes. Basically, uh, I think he's contrasting spiritual things to physical things. It's possible. And, and so Luke seems to focus on the spiritual plight of the poor. Now, you've got to remember in the social context of this time, back then people thought that those people who were poor were cursed by God, and people who were rich were blessed by God. That's kind of what they thought about it. And so they, um, 
And so they would view those who are poor as being worse off in God's eyes. Jesus is saying being poor has nothing to do how God, as to how God views you. In fact, I, I, I find today, he, I forgot the scripture now. I have to look it up real quickly here. But he says, uh, it's in James, basically, I believe it's in James, that the, the rich are the ones who persecute Christians so much. They're, they're going to hold them in derision. And the rich were persecuting people of, of that time who, who were trying to serve God. And, and that's so it's true today. They were the ones who were against them. So what he's saying here is there's no shame in being poor. And God will bless those. Because what I found to be true, Gary, in doing work as a minister, teacher, evangelist for 45 years, is that I get much better response to the gospel of Christ and to the Bible in general among those who are poor than I do those who are rich. I've been all over trailer parks and housing projects in different cities in Florida and other places and I get I get a welcome at least I get to talk to people in those poor areas at a much higher rate than I do when I go to some places here like in gated communities in gated communities they want me out of there they only let me come in there to go talk to people right okay that's because the rich people live there and even in Key West, going door to door in Key West, telling someone the other day some you know, my experiences in Key West over four or five evangelistic trips down there in in the eighties, <clears throat> I could go into the housing projects down there. I could get Bible studies uh, all the time down there with people. I, the only trouble I had was a lot of them I couldn't speak their language, but they were they were wel- they welcomed the Bible into their home and me who they thought was going to teach them the Bible, they welcomed me in their home. Uh, other, when I went to some of the more expensive homes in Key West on the same street, because they, you know, that's the Conk Republic, you have a, 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 you have a Hubble one, one lot, the next lot over is a mansion in right. Key West. You know, anyway, go there, and they won't let you come in. They wave you away. I tell the story, told my son-in-law the other day, a story I went by this guy's house, he had a, a come to this long sidewalk there, and there's this nice iron rail fence all painted. I look up, there's a big, beautiful lawn going back to a big white house, two stories, all that. And in front of that, near the fence, is a pool area with a cabana, you know, and an umbrella, and a guy sitting on his table there. We had his cocktail, and he sees me come by, and I got my Bible in my hand. I never said anything to him. I just walking by on the sidewalk. He sees the Bible in my hand, and he just picks up his right hand, and waves me on, real just just keeps waving me by. Don't even bother to stop. And I and I thought, and of course, my story is I tell him in the, in the judgment day, when God says, "Why didn't you ever listen to me?" He might say, "Well, I never knew. You, you never told me. I never knew that I had to do this or that, or that I should be baptized or whatever." And, and uh, God's going to say, "You remember that little little fat guy, you know, with the Bible." Walking with a limp. House one, walking with a limp came by your house one day. Yeah, that guy. You remember that guy? He said, I sent him to you, and you waved him away. <laughs> I sent him right to your door to tell you, to talk with you about this, and you waved him away. So in any event, yes, I receive a different reaction from the rich, generally speaking. And the trouble with Americans is that most of us are rich now. We still think we're poor, but we're rich. And so we, we depend upon our own abilities to make it through life and we think our wealth and our status is going to save us 
It won't stay, save us, you see. Well, he, and, and the poor God, are receptive to the gospel. Well, God even told them in, in, the, in the Old Testament. I forget where the scripture is, Mike. I'll have to try to look it up again. But he, he says, when you become ha- happy, when you become fat and you become secure, you're going to be careful that you don't forget the Lord. He says, be careful that you don't forget my word when you become fat and secure. Right. And Now, I think that's what Luke is talking about. Now, Matthew may have had, a, in his account, maybe of two different times Jesus spoke. Uh, there's a, he puts the idea of poor in spirit. He's just using the in spirit part for most poor. Now, the poor can, can be rich in spirit they think that they're better well you know greed cuts across all classes i've met just as many greedy people who have nothing as they have rich people who are generous well and and this is another way to study the bible when you look at luke uh it's luke 6 and 20 and following he says blessed are you poor for yours is the kingdom of god okay how does that how do you apply that blessed are you who hunger now for you shall be filled how do i apply that blessed are you who weep for you shall laugh He's not talking about physical things because look at verse 22. He says, blessed are you when men hate you and then they exclude you. They revile you and cast your name as evil for the son of man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy for indeed your reward is great in heaven. He says, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. Now he's he's comparing that to a reward in heaven. I think what he's saying is what I said before, your reward is in the kingdom of God. It's in heaven. It's not got anything much to do with physical food or being physically poor. It basically are weeping in the way that we weep on earth. And and I have my own view about what he means to be blessed are those who mourn. I think those who mourn are mourning over sin more than anything else. So it's it's, it's, it's basically certainly no shame in mourning and and grief. But no. he, he's actually comparing things here. In, in, in Luke, it's a little bit more left to the interpretation when you read the passages. And you have to be careful about these things. Well, now, Gary, I would say, too, that uh, one of the reasons I think that these two accounts that are similar, similar topic are on two different occasions. Now, I have to admit to you, I haven't, because of the, I'm just thinking about this right now, I, have to, I have, can't go back and really, really look right. at this closely, so I may be wrong, so you listeners can correct me, that's fine. But my understanding of reading it is that Matthew's account happened at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, before he had ever called any disciples and, or had made them apostles or anything. The situation in Luke is a little bit later. He had already called his disciples, and he names Simon, Andrew, James, and John, Philip, Bartholomew. He names the 12 apostles. Well, in all the other, this is an event that happens later in Jesus' ministry, not the first thing out of the bat. But, but it's like a lot of things. We, if you have an important message to teach, Jesus didn't say something altogether different every time he went out to teach people. Right. Any more than, a, we, I hate to use this analogy, please forgive me, but a politician may say something different in each occasion, but, but he's saying he has a stump speech, as it might be. He has something that he's saying it's important, and that can change over time. Well, Jesus said some things probably in different places that were similar because every different audiences need to hear the same thing. And yet he sees, says it's recorded something different in different places. So I think there's these two speeches are very similar, 
But I don't know that they were given on the same day, and therefore I don't think they're contradictory. And I think they make sense when understood in each in its own context. Maybe that's wrong. So if you want to research this some more, somebody out there listening wants to research this some more, get back with me. That'd be great. I appreciate it. But I'll, maybe I can remember to do that this week. Well, I, I just that's like, my, my recollection yeah. of having studied it before. I, I just like to say that my my evaluation of Luke twenty and following year is more of an idea of, of contrast between physical and spiritual than what Matt than what the Matthew uh, scriptures are, and, yes. and he's pointing he's pointing harder to the contrast, not. As much to the ideas here, I think is is that's the way I view it. So. And, and, and both of these are apparently up on a mountain, so it could be yeah. what may be saying the same as the place, but not the time. Now, yeah. you know, there's some disagreement about this, but I don't really think that they're in contradiction with each other. If that's the point that's being made here, that you poor, yours is the kingdom of God, and you who are hungering and poor in spirit are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Uh, people would view the poor as being humbled. Humble, poor in spirit. At that time, and we we don't tend to do that. You know, we have an opposite view today. Strangely enough, we I, we say we do, maybe we don't. We tend to think that the poor are virtuous. There's nothing in the Bible that says all the poor are virtuous and all the rich are wicked. There's some generalities made about that, but we tend to. Uh, it was probably more likely back then that, that they thought that those who were handicapped or poor were cursed by God, that was the general consensus of things. The, the Bible doesn't teach that either, that that's the case. Uh, but but men say those kinds of things in their ignorance or in their prejudices. We, we think those kinds of things certainly isn't what the Bible says. Uh, uh, you know, it's, different. it's like men and women, obviously very different. Um, another can of worms will open up today, Gary. Very different, but and they and they both sin with pride, for example. But pride in males, from my experience, looks different than pride in females. Okay, that's that's the difference. They they ex- expressed differently. Courage in males comes out different in in the actual outworking of it than it does in females, and so. It's not that, that that the two things are different from each other. It's the difference in the people that are are living this stuff, and so that's the that's what confuses us sometimes. And the same thing is true of the rich and the poor. The greed of a poor person might look a little bit different on the outside than the greed of a rich person, but it's still greed. It's the same thing. You see? Yeah. It's 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 keep coming back to the idea that. Uh, it shows up differently in what we do, but it's it's what we do that is that is me- that is a measure of God. It's how He views our faith, and I keep coming back to this. You cannot you cannot get away from the idea of deeds. You cannot get away from the idea of obeying God and what He says. The actual thing that you do. The actual yeah. thing that you do. It's, uh, it, it's just it's it's impossible to get away from, and yet. Deeds can be used to deceive. Yes. And they can be hypocritical. But just saying something doesn't matter at all. At, at all, Just saying that you're humble or that you love God doesn't matter if it's not followed up in your life by some action of actually following God or doing something like that. So in any event, uh, we beat that one to death too, but I appreciate the, the text there about that subject. 
And you're, there, there, it is correct that those two speeches are very similar, and yet they are different. I don't know that there's a great value in just repeating for God to repeat the same thing. But in any event, uh, we had we got about eight or ten minutes. Let me give the numbers again, 772-340-1590. And call us here. And we can still have a conversation, 772-340-1590, about whatever is on your mind. We would especially like to encourage you to call if you have a negative view of religion and so forth. Uh, we don't, we're not going to attack you, belittle you in any way. Or if you've had some bad experiences with, with religious people, uh, you know, that's okay. We, we'd love to hear from you. I think we can learn something together if you call in, 772-340-1590. Well, I have some scripture I'd like for you to write down. If, if, okay. you, if you think that If you think that you're going to be saved by grace simply by as a gift of God without doing anything, you need to read Romans 2, beginning in verse 5. He says, But in accordance with the hardness of your impertinent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek glory, honor, and immorality, immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish to every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also to the Greek. Obeying involves doing something. Obeying involves a command, not just a statement. Right. So if we obey unrighteousness, he says there, that we're actually doing something that is unrighteous. We're following, we're following an idea that's wicked, and we keep and we're doing what it says, yeah. doing that, doing that thing. Write that scripture down. That that say it again, Gary. The, the, Romans the two, beginning yes. in in verse five and and going through about verse ten. Right. And you had the same kind of warning in a different way in Galatians chapter six about reaping what you sow. So, and that. You're reaping what you sow, that's about actions too. Now, don't make any mistake about it. Well, I would make this connection. What the Bible says about belief is we have to believe the proposition that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, if we actually believe that proposition, not just give lip service to it, then we're going to listen to that scripture that you just read, for example. And that's, right. what, that's the point he's making. We say we believe that Jesus Christ is is the Jesus of Nazareth, is Lord in Christ, is God's Son, then that means what we do is going to change drastically. It may We may not know everything at one time, but what we do is going to change because it's going to lead, if we really believe that He's God's Son, then we're going to repent of our sin and our wickedness, and we're going to begin to do things differently. Well, It's, it's not that you can just, without belief in Christ, just do certain ritualistic things, and that'll be fine, or just go through the motions of, like, Jerry called in about going through some rituals. We can't just go through some rituals. There has to be actual belief behind the ritual or behind the deed. But the Bible does not disconnect this, these two things and say belief is all that's necessary and the deeds don't matter. Modern Protestants disconnect them. But the Bible never disconnects belief and, and deeds that match those things. And that, that's when I keep coming back to God wants to see your faith. He says faith saves you, but how does faith save you? God wants to see your faith and he wants the faith to be seen 
And I'm going to go to James 2, and I'm going to read verses uh, 18 and following. He says, but someone will say to you, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was Rahab the harlot not justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. He's using Old Testament examples. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. God wants to see your faith. Faith seen is what saves. Right. It's, it's, what, it's the faith that saves rather than the faith that, that doesn't save. save. We talk about in James. Right. So someone tells you that you're saved by grace without doing anything, uh, I'm sorry, it's, it's not in the New Testament. Right, right, that's the thing. And, and so uh, what, what we have, though, sometimes, Gary, about this idea and why people object to works is kind of what maybe what Jerry, what his call was about. The Bible will say that we ought to repent, which is an action, occurs in both mind and perhaps even in the deeds that we do you can't say you repent and keep doing the thing that you're repenting of but then then religion takes it and makes a bunch of rituals out of it of which the bible says nothing and so somehow we think we can be saved by saying a rosary or wearing a cross around our neck and these are the kind of deeds that martin luther was objecting to when he talked about salvation by by faith uh, not the kind that we're talking about, where you're, where you're doing what God says. People make up their own traditions and their own actions in these things, and God never said anything about any of that. We are encouraging you not to make up your own traditions or follow the traditions or customs of others and you know, say certain prayers, wear certain jewelry, cross yourself, do all that kind of stuff that the Bible says nothing about. We are encouraging you to take a look at what the Bible says you ought to do when you say you want to repent. And the same thing is true of baptism. They've made baptism in the religious world some kind of ritual that you can do to babies. You sprinkle this, you do that. You can wait till Easter to do it. You don't have to be immersed. No, do what God says. He, Jesus said, he that, he, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now that, that eliminates babies right there, Right? And then we're buried with Christ in baptism in Romans 6. Jesus said, he that believe, he that believe in, uh, I mean, uh, Peter said, repent and be baptized. So it takes the repentance and the baptism. Isn't some right? Don't add all your customs to it. Follow what the scriptures say. Well, our time is gone, Gary. And uh, appreciate everybody who's listened today. We thank you for listening. Tune in again next week. Take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com. We'd be glad to have you take a look at that. And if we can help you anyway, get a hold of us here at We Are Just Christians. May God bless you. Until next week. Open my cup, let it overflow.